Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of DMing Truth in Tech. I'm Mario Alvarado. And I'm Daniel Escalante. And we're actually not alone today. And he's on uh, right now. Daniel, you want to introduce him? So who we have here with us uh, today, his name is Marcos Torres. And he's joining us all the way from Western Australia. Marcos, go ahead and say hi there. Hey, everybody. What's up, man? Good to be oh, here. From the land down under, man. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, far. From the, <laughs> from the land down under, man. Like, I mean, I, look, let's just be clear. I'm not originally from here, as you can tell <laughs> by my accent. I'm a Jersey boy through and through. Um, but yeah, my wife is from here, so that's why I'm here, man. We are so happy to have uh, Marcos here with us. I actually went to school with him at uh, Southern Adventist University. We studied together in undergrad. No, I cannot forget his passion for ministry, for the Adventist message in particular. And right now he's leading a very successful website, podcast, just empowering pastors in their ministry. Um, it is called the Story Church Project. And we're going to have all of this linked below in the description. Uh, so that you guys can check him out too and what he's doing. It really is incredible. Uh, it's definitely been a blessing for me just to be have like all of these resources, all of these ideas, and uh, we look forward to our conversation. Uh, you'll hear more from him in our Church Talk uh, segment of our podcast. Yeah, I mean, f- funny story. I mean, we were talking, uh, Daniel and I, and I and I told Daniel, hey, you should check out this um this, you know, this pastor guy, he's pretty good. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, what's his name? I'm like, uh, his name is Marcos. And I was like, what? I know him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, that's Marcos, awesome, man. It's yeah. a small world, bro. You know how it is. It is, it so, is, um, it is a small world. Yeah. Great to have you, bro. We're really excited. Um, no, uh, man, I'm, I'm really excited to be on here as well and uh, and and just spend some some time with you guys. And I love what you guys are doing. And uh, also, you know, speaking life into pastoral ministry and church ministry is it's so important, so needed. So I, it's, I'm, it's an honor, man. I'm, I'm really stoked. Awesome. Awesome, man. So just to remind you guys, uh, email us at dmtruthintech mm-hmm. at gmail. Tell me if you guys have any questions concerning this episode. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, we have a deep episode coming in because, I mean, we're, we're going to be asking uh, we're going to take advantage and ask some questions uh, to Marcos, you know, mm-hmm. concerning uh, what, specifically one of his blog posts. Um, as we said, he's very um, proactive when it comes to, you know, progressing, making the church relevant uh, as God called us, called us to be right yeah, in, in the world. So uh, DM truth tech at gmail.com or at our Twitter handle, any mm-hmm. questions you guys have, um, you know, we're still growing our Twitter um, social media aspect, but we want to get you guys involved in the conversation as we always let you guys know. Uh, that's DM Truth and Tech. Obviously, all the descriptions, even like like Daniel said to Marcos, is this um, podcast and website. Mm-hmm. Everything will be on the links in the description um, of this podcast. But um, yeah, so let's get right to it, man. Mm-hmm. Actually, and he's got a te- he's got a tech moment for us too, right? Yes, he does. Yeah, so, very excited to hear about that. Let's do that <laughs> tech moment for you. This segment is our tech moment for you. And so this is where we just share, you know, our favorite uh, tech piece of tech could be an application, could be a program that we use that just benefits, um, you know, ourselves personally, could be spiritually, just helps us to be more productive. Uh, So, yeah, Marcos, what is it that is do you have something like that that you like to use that is your favorite? Um, Just share with it a little bit about uh, about it with us. Yeah, man, it's actually a, a, a website that I found recently like honestly i've i think i've only known about it for like 3 months and it's been so cool like revolutionary it's super simple it's free you don't have to pay anything um c a l m l y writer.com and 
Okay. It's really cool because what it does is you can you go on there. It's a writing tool like Microsoft Word, right? It's a writing tool, okay. but it's really really simple. It's got like a minimalist design, and if you if you go on full screen on your computer, it's got like it just is just completely distraction free. And I know when like wow. when I'm writing my sermons, right, and and I just get distracted so easily. So this thing, like you go on full screen, is just totally distraction free, and it's really elegant. You know, the font looks really good. You put on some nice music, man, and you're just dead to the world. So I love it. Calmlywriter.com, man, got to check it out. Wow. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. And you guys heard, sounds like a really great uh, something that could come yeah. in handy for sure. And I mean, it, you use it for writing sermons, and you know, obviously to concentrate. Now, question: the music, you know, is is it, is that part of it, or is that something you usually you just play a playlist that you have on your Spotify? Yeah, yeah, or I mean, I just hop on Spotify and put something on, you know. Um, so it doesn't come with music. Um, but, uh, yeah, just anything, anything that you like listening to while you're writing, different people like different things. Um, so yeah. And oh, you just perfect. have the software open and you're dead to the world, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Look, bro. And I mean, and people that don't necessarily do sermons, it's, it's an opportunity for, if you're just a writer in general, right? Maybe yeah. you want to dedicate time to just write maybe a yeah. blog post or, you know, the, yeah. you know, we have a lot of people that are have different things to do in the church. They're creative. They're trying to be creative. Um, mm-hmm. but it, I guess it's a good site where they can just sit and write because yeah. man, with distractions, bro. You know, sometimes you have your Twitter open on there. You have your, uh, <laughs> That's I, so true. Yes. um, well, you I say you, but I usually have those, but <laughs> it, it helps to have a, a, a site or something like that where mm-hmm. you can just say, Hey, get all that out of the way. And let me just concentrate mm-hmm. yeah, and be intentional absolutely. about it. Oh, yeah, calmly calm writer, calmly writer, calmly writer. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. And, course, and you know, there's something, there's something um, necessary. At least for me, I don't know about everybody else, but at least for me, when it comes to sermon prepping, um, you know, like I do get distracted easily. But there's something cool about um, being able to just unplug and take that time to really, really just get lost in the narrative. And, um, mm. you know, just go for a swim in your own sermon before you invite other people to swim in it, you know. And, mm. and for me, that's what Calmly Writer really opens that up because it's just it's just you and this really basic, clean sk- uh, screen. And so you just get lost in there. It's great. Wow. Yeah, wow, that, that's, that's important, man. And speaking of which, maybe it could be also another idea could be probably journaling. We talked about devotions about journaling and that's stuff like true, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that's also another way to, you know, after doing it, emotional, you want to do a response or just journal on it. Um, mm-hmm. Go on there. I think that would, the, the principle of just like what you're saying, disconnecting and just mm-hmm. disconnecting with the world and connecting mm-hmm. with God, you know, and getting lost. Yeah. I, I think that's important, man. That's, that's pretty deep. And we yeah. need that a lot more, especially in this distracting world. Oh yeah, definitely. Getting all these notifications and stuff like that. <laughs> um, man, I had to turn my notifications off, bro. It was getting ridiculous, man. I couldn't even have a conversation with my wife without bing, bing, bing. I was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, got too much, man. I got too much. Yeah, we actually have an episode where we've had apps that mm-hmm. help you with your notifications mm-hmm. and stuff like that because yeah. it's just it's just it's an issue. I mean, we're yeah. living in the world where notifications have become an issue mm-hmm. now. Yeah, um, that type of world we live in. But just uh, probably one one more question about the thing. It you save so it's on a website, but you you download it at PDF or how how do you um, yeah, organize? So once stuff? once you create your document. Um, I'm just opening it up right here just to uh, remember. You can download it as a .docx file. So, you know, it's the, oh. 
Oh, the, okay, um, yeah, you can save it as a docx. Uh, you can save it as an HTM, which is you know who does that, um, or a TXT, or you could save it to Google Drive. So if you got it connected to your Google Drive, you can save it that way. Um, yeah, so you can look. You can insert pictures in there as well. You can print directly from there, um, and once you've written a sermon on there or whatever, when you go back, you can open it again. Like it automatically saves it within Calmly Writer for you. Um, the only catch is that it, it, that will only work on the computer that you wrote it in. So like if I were to hop on Calmly Writer on another computer, even if I'm using my same Chrome browser, the sermons won't be there, like the stuff I wrote. So it'll just be on the same one that you wrote oh, it in. Um, so that's probably oh, the only catch in that spec. But like if you save your file to Google Drive, then obviously you can open it anywhere on Calmly Writer. Yeah. Mm, okay. Oh, perfect, All right, man. It's pretty convenient, to be honest. Yeah, oh, yeah it is. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to trying that out for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that's pretty much our our moment, our tech moment right now, and we're gonna dive into our church talk now. Okay, so in today's uh, church talk moment, uh, we mentioned that we, you know, we I think we may have even shared this before, uh, but Marcos wrote a blog post that definitely caught my attention. Um, a number of his blog posts actually catch my attention a lot, but this one in particular, uh, it was the one titled, Why Are Adventist Churches Always uh, 10 Years Behind? Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember one of the uh, recent times uh, that I thought about this concept um, I read an article in the news. I think Marcos I may, or Mario, I may have told you about this, but uh, I told you that some colleges had started um, using Apple Pay uh, with yeah. their ID cards, yeah, yeah, yeah. with their okay. student ID cards. Okay. And so students will be able to use like their phones to get into dorms and you know to pay for meals and things like that. Yeah. And um, and I remember mentioning that to you, and I told you, man, but our colleges will probably adopt that like maybe 10, 20 years later or something <laughs> yeah. like that. We're still waiting for something like that. And so, um, but yeah, it made me think about this concept. You know, if uh, if we really are behind the times, and if so, um, why is that? You know. And so, Marcos, I guess to, to uh, start us off, uh, when you say that the Adventist churches are ten years behind, uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Um, if you can just give us a little bit of info about that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, it depends on who you ask, you know, because after I published this article, some people commented like, oh, I thought it was more like 20 years behind. So <laughs> um, I think it depends who you ask. Like, But nobody disagreed that there's a sense in which we are, we are behind. And I guess yeah. there's a lot of different avenues you could look at that from. The, the avenue that I was talking about had uh, probably more to do with – the theme that I focus on, which is, you know, reaching people, being relevant, connecting with, you know, emerging generations and cultures. And so, you know, like I'll give you just, you know, like a few examples, you know, it's Adventist churches are usually when we're um, in Adventist culture, when we're talking about something, um, we're, we're, we're talking about it sort of becomes a hot topic or something. We're, we're like way behind on the conversation where everybody else has been. So even if you look at, Mm -hmm. um, at the system, I forget what it's called, the system, the worldwide Adventist system that you can create a website on, mm. like is so horribly outdated. Like it's ridiculous. And yeah. it's only been in the last two years that I've heard any conversation coming from like, you know, 
from the top saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do something about this," um, and I'm not even sure if that's universal. I think I don't. I think that might just be Australia. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But you know, they're horrendously outdated. And so, what we have to do, you know, like what I do in my local churches, we we got we just find another platform because they're so bad, you know. So that's one example, you know, like those yeah. websites and the sort of the um, templates that they come with. It looks like something out of the '90s. Uh, where mm-hmm. we're like we're not in the nineties yeah. anymore, you know. Um, yeah. So that's one of the shifts. And even when you look at shifts in the culture, you know, po- po- you know, like Adventists are talking about postmodernism now. Like postmodernism has been around since like the eighties. Actually, it's it's older than that. It's just it kind of became yeah. popularized around that time. Um, yeah. And we're only now, like it, I think it's probably only around two thousand ten where I started hearing people talk about postmodernism. I was like, "What's that? I never heard of that." You know, um, <laughs> and then I realized, "Oh snap! I've been growing up in it, but I just, you know, it, it had not become a conversation in the church." And even millennials, you know, like reaching millennials is a trending topic today. But like millennials are pushing forty now. You know, like yeah. like we're we're almost out of that, you know, phase of, you know, I mean, the youngest millennials are still in their twenties, but you know, like we're, we're also, you know, the oldest, like we're pushing 40 now and like the post millennials are, are on the scene now. And it's like, now we're still, now we're talking about reaching millennials. So that's what I mean. You know, like it, yeah. we're just always behind on the conversation. Another perfect example is um, the emergent church. Now I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, seen all the DVDs and, and stuff about the emergent church and, you know, different churches get all riled up over that. Um, and, and that's been like a really hot topic in Adventism for some time now, uh, probably maybe the last 10 years. And, and we picked up that conversation and started freaking out about that when the rest of the evangelical church had laid it to rest, you know, like it was dead. It was a conversation that had ended there. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, the emergent church, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nobody else is talking about it anymore, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, we're behind on conversation. We're behind on understanding the culture. We're behind on developing. We're not innovating. We're not leading the way. We're, we're always behind. You can talk, think as well about the health message. You know, we've had the health message since, you know, Ellen White had her visions like way back forever ago, but we haven't done anything innovative or amazing about, I mean, look, I'm not taking away from our hospitals. They're amazing. But like when you talk about how health narrative is reaching the culture, it's new age people that are doing that. You know, it's Oprah Winfrey that's doing that. It's not Adventist, you know? So that, that's what I mean by that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that makes sense, I love man. bread commercial. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it, it affects i think it's just so right it affects in every in a lot of the areas of of our church doing and even in even in our technology i remember that there's some churches who are trying to stream their services in like 480p when everyone i mean not everyone but mostly the general public is already watching things in hd that's right and we're still streaming or ADP type of things, you know, which mm-hmm. which we might think, okay, you know, it's 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 all it's all about the content, um, but sometimes these little details help. If people are so used mm-hmm. to watching like HD things on their TV all the time, yeah. why would they spend watching something that's so much lower quality, even though it might have be good content? You know what I'm saying? That's right, man. So. And, and it's not all about the content. Uh, it might have been like that for passing generations, but emerging generations are very aesthetic. 
So, you know, like the moment I see, you know, like if I go on a, if I go to a new area and this is coming from someone who's already a Christian, right? If I go to a new area and I look up the Adventist churches because I want to visit one, um, I'm going to go to the one that has a nice website. Like if your church has a whack website, I ain't showing up. That's a millennial thing. You know, that's a millennial thing. Um, We, the reason why is because in the the sort of the millennial interpretive framework, whatever is aesthetically pleasing, what that communicates to us is you value what you have to say enough that you're expecting someone to look you up. And so when I see that you have a really nice website, uh, my Im- immediate thought is you, you, you know, what's going on. Like you're in on it. you like, you're, you're being, you're pushing ahead to communicate your message. Whereas you got a website that was designed in the nineties and it's really whack. It makes me feel like you don't really value what you have to say, you know? So that's, and that's a millennial yeah. thing. You know? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely past the, it's all just about the content thing. Like that, that's a bygone, <laughs> you know, bygone yeah. era. That's true. That's true, man. And so, and that kind of leads us to the next question that we have because um, mm-hmm. you, you talked in your vlog and you said we so we're ten years behind and all of a sudden we mm-hmm. kind of figure it out like oh man we should be talking about this or mm-hmm. we should you know we should be informed about this stuff you know it's we're ten years late um, so then we start de- you say in your vlog we start developing like these reactive ministries mm-hmm. um, and I mean I thought that was key I thought it was super important mm-hmm. and so true. You know, yes, and in definitely. my in my experience too, um, what? How do you think that hurts us? I mean, to have these reactive ministries um, instead of maybe you talk about having proactive ministries. What would what yeah. would you say is the difference? Yeah, well, the the difference is is twofold, and um, and just just to give a heads up, guys, I'm I'm thinking back to a you know obviously thinking back here to an article that I wrote some time ago. So, you know, my, you know, there's a bit of a <laughs> memory, memory loss. Um, I do have it open here, but I, I'm not, obviously not going to be reading it because it's too distracting. But um, from, from memory, the, the, the thing with, you know, like reactive ministries, and, and that's what we see, like we're, we're reacting to change. We're reacting to the changes that are coming. Um, and what it means when you are reacting, you're always behind. Always you know, and so yeah. this is a principle because I used to be in the army. This is a principle I learned as a sergeant when I went to, to school to become a sergeant was that reactive leadership is the worst kind of leadership there is. Because what, when when you are reactive, you're always being taken by surprise. You're not mm-hmm. thinking ahead far enough to develop a meaningful plan. Um, you're always one step behind. And, and that's the challenge. You know, that's the challenge with us. Like a lot of, of what we do is reactive. So like we're always one step behind what the enemy's doing. Like we're never ahead of them. We're, you know, we're always playing catch up with the culture. Um, and, and part of that is manifested in this idea, like reactive ministries tend to be negative as well. So like rather than, um, influencing the culture, which would be a proactive ministry, we demonize the culture, which is reactive, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's this new cultural trend. Oh, well, what do we do about it? I don't know. Let's just demonize it. And we do that so much with music and with movies and, you know, with whatever, whatever cultural trend is. And I'm not saying cultural trends are amoral. There are some cultural trends that are definitely, you know, damaging, but if we're not influencing the culture and we're just reacting to it, then the temptation is to just demonize it. And once you demonize it, it might make you feel good, but the emerging generations that are surrounded by that, it doesn't connect, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I think that's the key. You, you don't connect. Yes. And yeah. then if you yeah. can't connect, you start becoming a, a, a irrelevant. Yeah. You know I mean, you're essentially like your ministry is dead on arrival pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. 
Yeah. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> to a certain point, yeah, 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 it is. It is definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, think that, I think that's key. Um, just the fact that, I mean, in our experience, man, it, 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 w- speaking of millennials, like at least the millennials that grew up in a church here, at least in North America, it's a lot of the active ministries going on. Most of it, even Society of is right? Mm-hmm. Even when you brought speakers, it was all based on reacting mm-hmm. to the culture. That's right. And say, this is bad. This is demonized. This is, this is, this is bad. Yeah. And we look at the results. It didn't really produce the results mm-hmm. that we expected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our friends are out. A lot of, you know, and of course, this isn't, this isn't the main factor, but it definitely helped yeah. to, to say, hey, they're, they're, look, the results, the fruits, they're not what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't help. It definitely affects to be 10 years behind. And I think that's, that's the main point of the article. What yeah. you saw and what you're thinking, and it's and it's relevant today because we're still we're still ten years behind in a lot of a lot of our churches. <laughs> yeah, man. And look, at, I think another perfect example is you know we talk about youth, and we talk about youth leaving church. You know, why are young people leaving church? Why are millennials leaving church? You know, we have these conversations all the time. We publish books about mm-hmm. it, and we do research yeah. projects on it, and it's always we always do it because it's already happening, right? And we're trying to figure out. Why is it happening? Because we're behind, right? Um, yeah. And yet, statistically, we've known for a very long time that youth leave church, like the, the vast majority of youth who leave church, they left when they were like nine or 10, but they just didn't have the capacity to actuate that decision. And so, mm-hmm. but they've already left at that age. And then by the time they hit 18 and they get that freedom, then they, then they can actuate the decision that they made years ago. Um, exactly. And so, you know, people have known for a long time, like, hey, if you want your young people to stay, you know, in the church, then it starts when they're five and six, you know, the ministries and, and, and how much you're investing in them. And you still go to churches today where you look at the at the uh, at the treasurer's report and the least amount of money is going into children's ministry because nobody thinks it's important. And it's like, well, that's, you know, you're setting yourself up to play a reactive game when the next generation starts leaving and you're wondering why are they leaving? You know, it's it's a constant, wow. constant uh, problem that we have where we're always chasing to find what's going on, um, but we're never getting ahead of it. Wow. Yeah, man. Wow. That's, that's deep stuff. Right that there. is so key. Yeah. Um, that actually leads us into, uh, that's a great point to lead us into my, to my next question. Uh, but yeah, your blog post continues to touch on, and I love, this was one of my favorite uh, points about it, but the finite versus uh, infinite games. Um, and I think you, you define it as finite games are those which have a definite beginning and an ending and are bounded by specific rules. Versus infinite game, on the other hand, that's played to keep the game going. So it doesn't terminate because there is no winner. Um, an infinite game uh, can keep going only by changing its rules. Um, so yeah, can you just talk to us a little bit about uh, the finite games and infinite games? Yeah, sure. And look, I hope I can do this just- justice. This is a this is a concept. I didn't make this up. Obviously, this is a concept that um, stems back to the uh, to the '80s. There was a book that was written by a guy named James Kars, uh, Finite and Infinite Games. And in recent times, um, Simon Sinek, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys know who Simon Sinek is, but for maybe for your audience, yeah. if you haven't heard of Simon Sinek, check him out. He's a great um, leadership guru. And uh, he did a talk on infinite and, and finite games uh, that I found really insightful. And um, 
and I think what I found the most insightful about it is how it plays out in war. Because again, I was a sergeant in the army, and so that that always intrigues me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, really, that's you know the definitions that you gave are pretty much you know a finite game is the typical game that we're used to. You know, there's baseball, there's basketball, there's football, there's spades. You know, there's tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, those are finite games. There's a specific set of rules with a specific set of boundaries, and somebody wins at the end. The game ends. You know, you both follow the rules and whoever's the best man, you know, the best man wins. Um, An infinite game is it's a little bit harder to, you know, you can kind of give a definition for it, but it's a little bit harder to wrap our heads around. But an infinite game is something like politics, right? Like there isn't there isn't a winner or loser in politics. Now, there are elections and people win elections and lose elections, you know, so an, an, an election can be an example of a finite game within the political sphere which is infinite right so nobody in the political in the political sphere ever takes home the the politics trophy like there's no such thing what you have is people jumping into the game and they play as long as they can and then they drop out and others take their place but the game never ends you know Um, keep going yeah and and there aren't set rules either like they're just constantly changing and as culture shifts as generations shift the the rules of politics begin to shift to accommodate those those trends um and the stock market's another example right so there's there's no set players in the stock market they come and go now i know people you know who are really into um stock market might say oh well you know there's the people who influence the stock market um you know, I'll give you that, but generally speaking, when you look at you know the way it plays out in 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 uh, oh, what's it called? Um, you know, where people in the stock exchange, like there's people are jumping in and out all the time. You know, uh, there, there's there's no necessarily a set rules. They they shift. You know, the market rises and falls, and there's there's all of this complexity involved in it. And you know, education. You know, nobody nobody ever takes home the education trophy. It's just. Nobody ever wins that game. It's endless. It's changing. Culture advances, philosophy advances, business, empire, all those things are advancing. And so it's just constantly changing. That's an infinite game. And um, and so understanding the difference between those two, the finite game and the infinite game is really, really important in understanding why Adventist churches are always 10 years behind. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because I think you were just asking for definitions. So <laughs> I'll stop there. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. important. It's important for us to yeah. know those those. Because I mean, it, it leads into the connection that we have. But mm-hmm. the finite thing is, you have set rules and you have winners, right? Like a sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, it's like uh, it's a different mentality. You're playing with like the long term in mind. Like you're mm-hmm. not you're not exactly like, planning to stop. You're trying to keep it going as long as possible. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So, man. so how, how do we apply this to the church? So, for example, how, what are the what are symptoms um, of a church that is playing a finite? game as opposed to like an infinite yeah as opposed yeah. to an infinite well be, before, how, before how, we get to that before we get to that i think it's important to um to take a look at what happens um what why this is important to begin with and and simon sinek makes a really interesting observation he says that in a finite game when a finite player goes up against a finite player the system is stable um you've got two finite players who understand the rules of the game, both playing to win, and the system is stable. Um, when you have an infinite player playing against an infinite player, the system is also stable. They're both playing not to win, they're playing to stay in the game. And that's probably mm-hmm. the simplest definition of an infinite game. You're not playing to win, you're playing to stay in the game. Um, mm-hmm. And when you have an infinite player versus an infinite player, you know, for example, two businesses, you know, no one's ever going to go home with the business trophy, 
because it's an endless game. But you know, you got two companies who are competing to stay in the market, to stay relevant. Um, and right. when they're competing against each other, you know, like McDonald's and Burger King, um, things stay smooth. And so the observation that Simon makes that I found most most interesting is that the problems emerge when you pick a finite player versus an infinite player. That that's where things get mm. unstable, and so he gives a few examples. Um, one of the examples yeah. he gives is he went to uh, I think it was a, a Windows or IBM or something conference, mm-hmm. and he spoke while he was there, and they gave him this was back when I think when the Zoom came out. You remember the Zoom player? Um, yeah, I wanted one for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> never got it. <laughs> well, thank goodness, man, because it's gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> But this was back when the when the Zune, you know, sort of MP3 player came out. And as a as a thank you for attending the conference and speaking at the conference, they gave him a Zune player. It hadn't been released yet. It was just going into the market. And they were like, oh, here, you can have one. He was really impressed by it. You know, the graphics and the wow. functionality, everything about it was really impressive. So he actually had another talk that very same day at Apple. Um, and so he jumps in a taxi and he's 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 on his way to Apple. And because uh, this all happened in the same city. And he happens to be in the taxi with a guy who worked for apple and just to just to annoy him he says he's, he leans over and says to the guy hey so you know microsoft just gave me their latest zune player and guess what man it's way better than your ipod or whatever it is they had back then um yeah the apple mp3 player and yeah. the guy looks at him and says i don't doubt it and that was like the end of the conversation. <laughs> wow. And, and Simon was like, oh, man, what do I do with that? And so he goes to the Apple you know, convention and he speaks. And then he says he started to realize what the difference was. Apple was playing an infinite game, meaning they weren't trying to beat Microsoft. Right? That's a finite mm-hmm. game where you're trying to win. They weren't trying to beat Microsoft. Yeah. They were just they were playing a game to stay in the market relevant as long as possible. They were playing to stay in the game. Microsoft was playing to beat Apple. And so, you know, he said, like, if I walked into a Microsoft convention and with, with an Apple, you know, iPod, the, the, you know, the people would hound me, oh, let me, let me take a look at it. How do I reverse engineer this thing? And what does it do? What does it not do? How can we make it better? He goes to an Apple one yeah. and they just don't care what Microsoft was doing because they were just playing to stay in the game. And lo and behold, Zune goes out of business shortly after and Apple has outlasted them significantly in in that sphere. Um, And so this is what he says. There's a problem emerges when you have a finite player that's playing against an infinite player because the finite player is playing to win, 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 win. And the infinite player is like, ha ha, I'm not interested in winning, but I'm going to outlast you. And so uh, some other examples are, you know, like the Vietnam War. That's a perfect example. The U.S. went in there to win. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Vietnamese, they weren't trying to win. They were just trying to outlast the U.S. because what they knew, the longer this war drags on, eventually the politicians are going to say, oh, we're tired of this and they're going to pull out. And that's exactly what happened, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so, again, just going back to your original question, like what does this have to do with the – you know, with the church and, and, uh, the dynamics that are there. And this is the observation that I shared in the article. Um, the observation that I shared is that Satan is playing an infinite game. Like he, he knows wow. he's lost the war. You know, he knows that from the cross. Um, wow. and, and he knows that he's, he's going to be judged. He knows his, his, his days are numbered, but he's playing an infinite game. His, his goal is to stay in this game as long as possible. He knows he can't win it. So he's not trying mm-hmm. to win it. He just he just wants to stay in the game as long as possible. So he influences cultural shifts 
to keep him in the game. He influences political narratives to keep him in the game. He influences trends, ideological shifts. He's doing everything to keep him in the game. He's playing to outlast the church as long as possible. And the problem is that churches, on the other hand, they're playing a finite game. And what I mean by that is we establish rules for how we will do certain things. We pick mm-hmm. certain people to do those things, and we set goals for what winning the game will look like. You know, X number of baptisms, Y number of members, Z number of, of churches. Yeah. And, and for, so what we have in the end is, is, is a whole bunch of churches that may well be lose, winning battles, but they're still losing the war. Yeah. And, and wow. so most of the time, we're just playing catch up. You know, we're playing catch up with the culture. We're reacting to new shifts as they come instead of anticipating them. We're demonizing the culture instead of influencing it. And all of these, mm-hmm. are, I think, are symptoms of frustrated churches. We're frustrated because when you pay a finite player, which is how we operate versus an infinite player, the finite player is always one step behind. You know, um, yeah. and so, you know, a perfect yeah. example wow. is here in, in you know, in WA, our, our conference president some years ago gave us a report and he said, oh, in the last year we baptized a hundred something people. And people were like, yeah, woohoo. Finite yeah. player mentality. Oh, we baptized a hundred yeah. something people last year. Woohoo. Yeah. Finite player mentality. Our conference president yeah. at the time, his name is Terry Johnson, brilliant guy. Um, and uh, he was thinking more in infinite terms. He turns around and he says, I don't know why you guys are celebrating. He said, the city grew by a thousand people a week. Wow. Wow. And we were just like, oh, snap. Like, we weren't even keeping up with 1%. Like, we were so <laughs> yeah. far behind, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. so this is the problem, you know? Like, we have a, established a set of rules on how church operates and how evangelism works and how discipleship works and how we're going to reach people and what it looks like and how it should function and blah, blah, blah. Like we have these set of rules and I'm not totally against, you know, even infinite players do operate within certain boundaries, but we have this set of rules that we've created and we're playing to win within those set of rules. Mm. And the thing is, Satan is operating in the culture and he's completely ignoring those rules. Like they, they're meaningless to him. Like he's, he's playing an infinite game. He's not worried about how many people the church baptizes so long as he continues to influence culture, so long as he continues to be the primary, the primary influencer of how people are thinking, how people are feeling, how people are relating to each other, you know, marriages and, and addiction, all those things. We're barely keeping up with any of that stuff. Um, and then we start losing our own youth and we start losing our own people. And, you know, recent research shows that um, I think it was in 2014 where the church did its uh, first membership retention summit that, you know, mm-hmm. Adventist churches lose, you know, what, one in three people leave the church within the first three years of baptism. And, and the equivalent of that, I think, is uh, 48 people for every 100 people we baptize walk away within three years. Wow. Um, you know, so we have to sit back and we have to ask the question, well, like, what are we doing wrong? And I think that's my challenge in this me- in this article is that we don't ask that question. We we still think that we're doing it right. Um, yeah. You know, we, yeah. we think we're okay because we baptized 100 people and we're not – we're failing to realize how much bigger the problem is. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there because I'm sure you got some other questions. I could talk forever if you leave me, so <laughs> I'll pause myself. I'll pause myself. Oh, it's, epic, it's deep stuff. It's deep yeah. stuff because um, I think, for example, you talking about just to clear out too, also to make it clear for our audience. When you talk about rules that we make up and we just want to work within these rules, mm-hmm. we're talking about our own made up rules, right? That's right. Usually, 
it's yeah. things that we make up that we think are correct or, that, or they just been adopted or someone came up with them and we didn't even do the research of why those rules happen. And we say, okay, we're just going to function within mm-hmm. these rules. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the goals of baptisms. I know there's in a lot of countries, bro, I mean, pastors can lose their job if they don't meet goals mm-hmm. yeah. for baptism. Yeah. And 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 that's that's playing a finite game. It it it, it affects. So a lot of times we're playing within these rules, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about you know play within the rules that we we can you know go and break you know b- biblical rules that's or right. you know principles. Yeah. No, no we're we're talking about I, what we, I believe you're talking about is the rules that we make up, right? That mm-hmm. we think oh we can't get out. we have to do goals or all these traditions that kind of kind of like by the rules that that the that the Pharisees were playing with. That's right. By. Yep. And Jesus said, hey, these rules, like, yeah, you made them up. <laughs> they're not. They're, That's right. Not mine. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, man. So, Absolutely. And, and, what, what, and what, what, what were the, you know, the primary method, like when you look at Jesus, you know, his ministry was an infinite game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that he was yeah, surrounded he with, including his own disciples, they were playing a finite game. And so that's why when he died, they were so disappointed because they thought they had lost the game. It was like, you know, they're, they're still in finite game mentality. And they're like, oh, we thought he was going to take over the throne and deliver Israel. That's finite game. And Jesus playing an infinite game for the redemption of the entire human race. And, 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 and you know, uh, this, this thing that they barely even grasped early on in the ministry. And so Jesus dies on the cross. And for him, he's like, oh, this we planned this. Because this is part of the infinite game. <laughs> like, this was planned before the foundation of the world. And it was the same thing with the Jewish people. You know, they were playing this finite game of wanting a king that was going to take over the throne of Israel and establish a finite kingdom of Israel. And Jesus is like, mm-hmm. my kingdom's not of this world, right? This is an infinite thing. And so really in Jesus, we have an example of someone who's thinking in infinite terms, not in finite terms. And yet our churches operate the exact opposite. You know, we, we, we play it safe because finite games are safer. We can understand them better. We can control them better. Um, we, we can preserve them better. Finite Mm -hmm. infinite games you can't control it. You can't preserve it. It, it, it kind of has a life of its own. And you really need, if you're going to play an infinite game, you really need to depend on the Holy Spirit because you kind of don't know what's happening half the time. And mm-hmm. and yet we're really comfortable, you know, with the finite game because in many ways, the way we do church now is like operating uh, a company. It's like operating a business. And it's you know we've established yeah. a particular administrative structure and look i'm not saying that this stuff is evil and is bad and is horrible and any of that because i understand oftentimes the development of these things are necessary um but on the other hand you know taking it too far what you end up with is a church that's just concerned with preserving and and we're not advancing anymore so you know like a, a natural question to this is you know what does it look like uh, let me go back to the local church here because i kind of dove into the global church uh, a little bit there yeah. but i tend to focus more on the local church i don't really mess with the global church too much um i talk more about the local church so um yeah. what, what is you know what does it look like for us to to play to stay in the game rather than to play a finite game. Um, and, and here are some examples that I shared in the article. I think number one, instead of attacking culture, which is a finite strategy, you're trying to beat them. Um, <laughs> you need to influence culture. But the thing is influencing culture is a strategy that requires friendship and earning trust with the culture. Oh, and, okay. and that's yeah. not something that happens yeah. overnight. 
That's not even something that's going to happen within one generation. That's a mm. process. That's a cultural ideology that we commit to that will take time and it will take decades. Mm-hmm. And, and so we've settled for just attacking the culture because it's more manageable and we can see results from it a lot quicker, but it's not working. It's not working. You know, yeah. let me, tell you, let me, let me put it, you know, let me, let me put it really bluntly. This, regardless of how many DVDs and CDs and books people have published attacking the culture, the youth in your church still loves the culture. You might have a few yeah. who are like gung ho yeah. or like, Oh, I'm not watching that stuff or listening to that stuff anymore. You know, but for yeah. the most part, if you look at the, you know, at the, at the, at the trend, you're not winning. You're not winning with that strategy, you know? Um, and so we need a different strategy. We need a, we need a, we need an infinite strategy, but we're saying, all right, well, how do we influence the culture? How do we come close? How do we befriend? How do we earn trust? How do we speak life into the marketplace of ideas rather than just hiding behind our dogma, you know? Um, yeah. another, another example that I give is instead of measuring success by baptisms, which is a finite metric, we should measure success by discipleship, which is an infinite metric. And, and, and the difference between those two is <clears throat> um, a church. And I think the book, oh, what book is it? I think it's the book, simple church by Tom Rainer goes into this idea that, yes. um, you know, a church might say, Oh, if we baptize 40 people this year, we've succeeded. Right? It's a finite game. Um, a, a church that plays an infinite game will say, well, look, we've baptized 40 people this year, but at the start of the year, we had 10 people involved in outreach. And at the end of the year, we have still the same, same 10 involved in outreach. So we haven't succeeded because no one's been mm-hmm. discipled to become a kingdom builder. And so yeah. rather wow. than saying, oh, you know, we've had 40 baptisms this year. How awesome is that? Like, hey, you know, praise the Lord for the 40 baptisms. But a win should be the, the percentage of people in our local community of faith who are involved in building the kingdom of God has increased by 55%, for example. Now, that's an infinite mm-hmm. metric because you can't fully measure that with a number. All you can do is look at a trend. But what happens when mm-hmm. more people okay. in your church are involved in building the kingdom of God is you have a complete change. That, that's a church that's going to have to start church planning really soon. That's a church that's going to spread. That's not a church that's going to stay local, you know? Um, And so for me, you know, that's one of the keys that I bring to my leaders is we don't measure success by baptisms. The real question is how many people are shifting from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus and baptism. Cool example for that, but are shifting from there into building the kingdom in really real ways. Um, That shift Mm. from into building the kingdom is again not something you can really measure with numbers. It's very difficult to do that, but you can see it in the trend in the way your culture and your church evolves and changes. Um, and so, you know, that's you know another another example of saying, look, we're going to play the infinite game, and we're going to start looking at how many people are involved in discipleship. And to be honest, when you look at how many people are involved in discipleship, your baptism numbers go up by, by themselves because you got a lot more people involved in reaching out. You know. Um, you know, so those are some yeah. examples, you know, uh, instead of reacting to new shifts, you know, when something new happens, we, we need to be students of the culture. Uh, we need to anticipate the shifts. Uh, right now, we, we don't anticipate shifts. We, we realize that they're there 10 years after they got there. 
And then we're, you know, trying desperately to find out what to do about it. Uh, and, you know, we have to wait for some guru with a PhD to write a book on it before we can figure out what to do. Um, and, and, and probably most fundamentally is that finite churches, if we want to get like really simple and practical, finite churches don't adapt. And that's the real problem to them. They don't mm. adapt. They refuse to adapt because they have set rules. And they mm. operate within those set rules and they play their game within those set rules. Infinite churches adapt because they don't have set rules. They're comfortable with changing the rules to fulfill the mission. And the vast majority of our churches, they are incapable of adapting because they have set rules. And like you said, it's not rules that we get from scripture, it's rules that we make ourselves. Like perfect example, one of the conversations I've been having at the two local churches I work at recently is, what are we going to do about our prayer gatherings? Nobody comes to prayer meeting. And you have people in the room who say, well, people don't come to prayer meeting because they're not committed. It's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) like number one, and this is a whole other article that I wrote some time ago. um, When you are a leader, you don't have the luxury of saying it's their fault, you know, when you're a leader, you yeah. have to find, yeah. you know, if there's a pipe and you know, there's a blockage in the pipe, you got to find where the blockage is. You, can, you can't just sit there and say they're not committed. You got to you got to find something practical. And so what I you know, what I challenged them with is, look, you know, when prayer meeting originated on a Wednesday night at a local church, we're talking about rural 1800s America Methodist churches, you know, like, come on. The world has changed so much since then. Most people in my local church live 45 minutes away from the church. You think they're going to drive down on a Wednesday night out there going to work all day and picking their kids up and getting their homework done. And and now they're going to drive 45 minutes to the church and then be there for an hour and 45 minutes back to get their kids in bed ready for the next crazy busy day. Of course not. We have to adapt the way we do prayer ministry. But some people are stuck in that finite state. Like, no, it has to be Wednesday night. Why? You know, I can't be on Skype. Whenever people feel like it, you know, so this is a very, you know, basic example of, you know, how we need to, to adapt to the changes that are around us. It's not compromise. And I think that's one of the real problems with churches that play the finite game is that they think adaptation is equivalent to compromise um, because they're playing a finite game with a set of rules that they're comfortable with and they can't let go of their rules. But adaptation is not equivalent of compromise. Um, I think, you know, not adapting, to be honest, is actually compromise. You're compromising to a set of comfortable expectations rather than saying, God, you know what? We're just going to let go and we're going to see where you lead us. And and we're going to be comfortable with changing the rules so long as we can win people for you. Yeah. Wow, Wow, man. That's that's really, really, I think it's super relevant to what's going on right now, you know? Absolutely. Um, To most most of, I don't want to say most of our churches, right? But many of our churches, mm-hmm. and we need to get we need to get in the game. To be honest, and I would say, I don't want to sound corny or anything, right? But we need to get into the infinite game, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. to to make sure that we are being relevant, exactly. and we're not just stuck with these rules. Of uh, one of the examples that we talked about last time with Daniel's, for example, I think another example is, you know, we're trying to open a community ch- church plan. We're doing a community church plan in South Bend, and the people. It's really community church plan. These are people that have not been to church in years, probably since their childhood, or they just haven't stepped into a church before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on a Saturday morning with their kids and everything, it's let's wake up late, right? Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. the only day off they get. Mm-hmm. So we still have a, a few of the leaders saying, no, we got to start at, you know, seven or, or eight or Sabbath school at 9am mm-hmm. because, you know, that's, that's, you know, we need to 
teach them or whatever this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, I think that's just, that's a set of rules that can change. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. think outside the box. Exactly. So we brought yeah. to the table, say, Hey, what if we start the worship service later at a different time? Make sure everyone, you know, can have breakfast, make sure everyone can get up and not mm-hmm. rush their kids and yeah. probably create more problems than they're creating. I mean, these are small examples um, that I think are part of what you say, and they do affect big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the church is relevant or not. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, man. Because really right I recently, I actually recently uh, published an article along similar lines where I suggested, um, you know, I looked at the statistics of the increase in uh, night shift workers and, um, and, you know, a massive increase in, in the last decade and, you know, made the suggestion that it would be nice if we had church services that gathered in the afternoon um, to meet the, those people's needs. Because, you know, you don't expect uh, someone who's been working all night, Friday night to, uh, <laughs> you know, be up at the crack of dawn yeah. on, on Saturday. Um, and a lot of people were really supportive of it. You know, they were like, oh, you know, this makes a lot of sense. But, of course, there was that giant bunch, vocal bunch, that were, like, just furious about the proposition. Um, and and, wow. and that is the reason why. Like, they're playing this finite game with these set of rules. And, and you know, really – the, the, the fundamental question that you have to ask is, okay, um, what is it about 10 a.m. that makes the – that is more sacred than 3 p.m.? Like there is yeah. – you know, what, what, we're, what we're really working with here is an old rule, a rule that existed in previous generations, a rule that said if you wake up early – then to go somewhere is because it's important to you. And if you don't wake up early to go somewhere, it's because it's not important to you. That's a rule that we've created. That's a cultural rule yeah. from bygone generations. Um, and so we expect the same rule to be applied to emerging generations when they don't see it that way. You know, for yeah, them, exactly. yeah. yeah, for, for you yeah. know, emerging generations are increasingly minimalist and slow in the way in which it's slow by slow. I don't mean in a pejorative sense, I mean, in a positive sense, they're, they're trying to slow yeah. down and look at life rather than, you know, the, 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 the keeping up with the Joneses that, that, you know, define previous generations, they're trying to slow down and look at life. And so for them being up at the crack of dawn to be somewhere really early does not equate with, I value this, you know, being able to yeah. get up in the morning, calm, calmly and quietly and, and, you know, have, like you said, breakfast with your kids and, 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 and get ready and gently and, and, and travel out without, you know, people yelling at each other. Hurry up. And look, it happens, man. Like most of our church families, by the time they get to church, they're so stressed. They're in a state of panic because they've been, you know, rushing, rushing, rushing all morning after a crazy busy week. Um, so yeah, look, it's a perfect, perfect example that you give there. It's simple, but it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Well, Marcos, as we're wrapping up now, I think uh, I want to finish with uh, a quote from your blog post that says, uh, infinite churches adapt because they don't have set rules. They are comfortable with changing the rules to fulfill the mission. And I think that's something that's very important to challenge uh, us, our listeners. But Marcos, thank you so much, man, for joining us. We really appreciated uh, having you. Um, and yeah, man, we ju- we're just definitely going to keep praying for everything that you're working on right now, for sure. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you so much, man. And, 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 and thanks. Um, I have, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed being here with you guys and sharing with you guys. And uh, I got to get you on, on my podcast sometime as well. So <laughs> let's make it happen. Yeah. 
That would be awesome. Definitely, definitely. By the way, uh, we will be linking um, Marcos's podcast and website and everything on there. Check out the resources. It's good. I would highly encourage you guys, if you're a leader at your church, you know, at any department, you know, share these with your team members. Read over them. Um, they, they're, they've helped me, bro, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they helped us, read them, they're very, this is just one of them. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and it, look how much we can, and we still, we could talk more about it. Yeah. Still. <laughs> but I mean, so yeah, check us out. We're going to link all that out. And uh, again, bro, appreciate, appreciate your time. Thank you <laughs> for being here. And uh, hopefully it's not the last time that we have you on here, man. Absolutely, man. Same here. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it.